This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1996, hundreds of strange, bizarre messages were posted across a multitude of different Usenet groups. No one knows what the purpose of these messages was or who was making them. Today, we analyze what has been regarded as one of the internet's oldest, most famous mysteries, the Markovian Parallax Denigrate. This is Red Web. Hello everybody, I'm Trevor Collins. As always, your mystery enthusiast with me. Again, Alfredo Diaz. We are stepping back onto the net. Back into the 90s internet to be specific. Ooh. We got a classic one here. Okay, alright. I guess a lot of people have heard about this one. Or or maybe have heard in passing about it. Whispers on the internet. Whispers on the on the breath of the internet. What's interesting about this one is that it didn't really seem to get popular until these recent years it was kind of not really talked about as you can imagine a lot of the mysteries that touch onto the older internet a lot of that is just lost to time right yeah especially you know once we get into it you'll see why but especially with the nature of this one it did it just didn't stand out in a particular way at the time and a lot of people overlooked it and it was almost lost to the to the halls of the internet to the to, to time i should say it was just lost that's just the i guess that's I don't know. Uh, that's something that has been popping up and whether it's stuff like this or video games, et cetera, just things coming back to life. Like nowadays, the f- release of something and it not being popular doesn't mean that mm-hmm. it's gone forever or that it's lost. Right. We've had so many like, you know, branching off into video games real quick. We have so many games like Among Us or Siege where just like no one really played to, you know, no one really played them or knew of them. But then years later, here they are like bigger than ever. So. Yeah, it's really crazy that, you know, back in the day, it's like if something launched and it failed, most likely just like done. Still mm-hmm. the case, but you can revamp it, work with it, tweak it and bring it back. Right. I mean, and, and, and it's like the common cold, you know, all it takes is one person to remember these <laughs> these very niche mysteries or topics from the Internet and then bring them back into whether it's in their creations, like you're saying, like in a video game or in their stories or whatever. For example, I know in the comments and in the reviews uh, from the previous weeks, John Titer was in a very popular anime, uh, which I wasn't aware of until, until we put that out. Yeah. He, the, so some people didn't even know about him per the real world. They just knew about him per this anime show, which was really fascinating to, oh, to hear about. Yeah. But cool. All at the same time. Yeah. So the Markovian Parallax Denigrate is a relatively simple mystery uh, as far as the timeline or the story that encapsulates what went down. Really, like many of the mysteries that I find the most interesting, this one lives the most in its theories, in in trying to answer what was behind it, who it was, etc. But without further ado, why don't we dive right into the timeline of Markovian Parallax Denigrate. So this goes back to August 5th, 1996, and hundreds of messages start appearing across several different Usenet group postings. 
Now, if you listen to this show for a long time, I've talked about the Usenet services back in the Satoshi Nakamoto episode when we discussed Bitcoin, but I'll, I'll download a little bit more information about that for you now and here. And uh, again, with these technical centric topics, I'll try to keep it as layman as possible. Just common terms, try to make it as simple as possible. And if, and if I oversimplify it or misexplain things, bear with me. I'm not a super coder. <laughs> I, I try to understand these topics <laughs> the best of my own ability, you know what I mean? But let's get in there. A Usenet essentially allows users to communicate via groups from one PC to another across the world. Users can read and post messages to each other via specific categories known as news groups. And this eventually paved the way for what you would know as today's internet forums, but those familiar to old school computing and computers back in the day, you might recognize a similarity here between this and the bulletin board system. Essentially, posts in a Usenet are organized by threading of a certain topic and replying to each other, but they all appear sequentially in the order that posts were made. So that's the quick and dirty on what Usenet is. Now, hmm. hundreds of messages are appearing on this one day in particular back in 96. And the majority of these posts are being made in different Christian groups. Uh, I have a handful here, a list of them, and I'll read off a couple of them. But essentially, that's the, the main point here. Some of the Christian groups were named things like alt.religion.christian or rec.music.christian or uk.religion.christian, or alt.fans.jesus-christ. So there's, okay. that's that's kind of the address of a, use, of a Usenet. Kind of, kind of similar to a website, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But again, just, just for the sake of it, Usenet kind of predated the internet. Very similar in a lot of ways, but also different in other ways that aren't necessary to dive into. So in addition to the posts made in each of these groups, some individual users also received strange messages themselves. Each message was a string of seemingly random words, so no one really thought much of it at the time. And this is also why it's such a mystery, again, and why this is lost to time, because when these messages came up, they're like, well, this just looks like spam, or this is meaningless, moving about my life. So were, were these messages in, like, DMs or something like that? Like, private messages, or...? Yeah, it sounds like some of them were posted publicly in these, these threads, right? And then others were messages towards specific people. Oh, okay. So this was sent via DM and sometimes it was just replied, to the group. Yeah. Yeah. Replied to like the group or the person um, yeah. in like a public forum or something. You can almost think of it as a Reddit post as opposed to a subreddit, which is a collection of posts. You just think of one post within that subreddit. Think of that as the Usenet group. You see all the comments. You can order them from new to old. That's how they would be displayed. Got There's it. Okay. threading, or you could DM a specific person instead. But fortunately, and perhaps maybe the only reason why this mystery is even known to us these days, one of the messages was actually saved and archived. And I have that message for you here. If you want to see the raw message, we will post a screenshot of that, as always, on our social pages, at RedWebPod. But I want to read this whole thing. There's a lot of gibberish in here. But I want to read it just so you can get a, a strong idea of what this message kind of is about. And there's a couple keywords in here that I want you to listen for that I might come back to, which is why I want to read the whole thing. Okay. Here's the body of one of the more popular messages from this event. And it's worth noting that this message was also in the alt.religion.christian.boston-church group. It goes as follows, quote, jitterbugging 
McKinley Abe, Break Newtonian, Inferring Caw Update Cohen, Hair Collaborate Rue, Sports Writing Rococo, Invocate Tossel Shadflower, Debbie Sterling Pathogenesis, Escritoire, Adventitious Novo ITT, Most Chairperson Dwight Herzog, Different Pinpoint Dunk McKinley, Pendant Firelight, Uranus Episodic Medicine Diddy Craggy, Flogging Variac Brotherhood, Web Impromptu File, Continence, Inheritance, Cohesion, Refrigerate, Morphine, Napkin, Inland, Janeiro, Nameable Yearbook, Hark. End quote. That's probably the weirdest thing I've ever had to quote in my life. You're just making a whole bunch of stuff up. You're just messing with me now. None of that. Yeah, you get the point. It is a long list of random words. McKinley's in there twice. Web is a proper noun. W-E-B-B. We'll come back to that in the theories. Dwight Herzog, or at least the name Herzog, I feel like has cropped up in another mystery of ours randomly. Something that comes to mind, but interesting. That's that's the that's message. A whole bunch of uh, just jumbled messes. Yes. Yes. And the subject line of the message was Markovian Parallax Denigrate. Interestingly, each message was from a different email address, and there seemed to be little to no correlation between any of them. The length of the posts themselves also varied greatly, and the posts did not continue after this day. So essentially, August 6th, boom, hundreds of messages. The next day, it's crickets again. But most of these messages, or at least to the best of our understanding, had this very same subject line, Markovian Parallax Denigrate, hence the namesake for this mystery. But yeah, that, that is essentially everything we know or believe we know from this whole event. And the rest is really trying to decipher the very limited information we have about this and everyone's popular theories around that kind of deciphering. But... The main question worth asking here is, why the name Markovian Parallax Denigrate? Yeah, what is that supposed to mean? Like, what's mm -hmm. what's the importance there? So, this is just the time before the internet or like earlier internet days. Mm -hmm. Random jumble messages. And it seems yeah, it seems like it could just be random word generator, you know. And 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 there seems to be some sort of importance here with this. Well, see, that's why, you know, imagine you're in 96 and you're in one right. of these Christian groups and you get a message that reads like this. And, you know, one thing worth mentioning here is that this is this is essentially spam. And at this point in time, spam wasn't like super prolific. It wasn't super common like it is today where you constantly get texts and calls and emails from junk. The Like the, the first real instance of major spam use on Usenet to my to my research was earlier in the 90s in 1994 where a law firm essentially used Usenet groups to blast out advertisement for themselves so essentially even though spam isn't super common people have heard of situations like this happening on Usenet and so you imagine you get something that looks like a garbled mess like this mm -hmm. you would imagine that you'd probably gloss over it that you wouldn't put much stock in this and you'd continue using your group as designed and forget about this which is almost why this got forgotten yeah you think it's like an error or maybe just like a coding issue or something's wrong with the site or whatnot you know what i mean like mm -hmm. some kind of error in some way shape or form right but uh, the word Markovian appeared in the messages roughly eight times as frequent as other words, which is interesting. So a lot of people took to the messages and tried to break them down statistically 
to figure out if there's any patterns with the frequency of words or with the usage of certain words. And it turned out that Markovian appeared in these messages roughly eight times as frequently as any of the other words. And uh, it's also worth noting that some of the more frequently used words in the very same group that that message that I read came from uh, was Cindy and Thimbu, which both had eight occurrences. I'm not sure if there's any sort of meaning behind those or any significance, but it is interesting to, to see that the next most popular words are the name Cindy and the word Thimbu. But another way to look at this is to look at the messages and realize that those feel like a jumbled amount of words. The subject matter or the subject line could also be a jumbled set of words such as Markovian Parallax Denigrate. But since that subject line was on a multitude of messages, not all of them, but most of them, it seemed like there was more importance behind these words, so I'd be inclined to break them down individually and kind of define them to see if there's some sort of message behind them. Markovian, we'll start with that one, likely refers to the Russian mathematician Andrei Markov, specifically the Markov property and the Markov chain. A Markov chain, to put it perhaps too simply, is a chain of events whereby each event's likelihood of happening is based purely on the outcome of the most recent event. It's usually defined by a series of random values, and the Markov property essentially just describes a memoryless process. Now, we'll get a little bit more into this definition and the implications of this being a Markov chain in the theories section, but one last piece to note before we move on is that Andrei Markov himself was an atheist, and I think that that stands out only because most of these messages were left in Christian-centric groups. I don't know if there's any attachment there or any relevance, but I thought it was interesting. As far as parallax, per Wikipedia, it is, quote, a displacement or difference in the apparent position of an object viewed along two different lines of sight. So essentially, uh, let's just think of an example. If you are on the far left side of the end zone on a football field, and I'm on the far right side, if both of us are looking at an object or a person in the very middle of the field, it's obviously the same person. However, we will both see slightly different backdrops, as it were, specifically because we have different lines of sight to the same object. That's all that describes. And finally, denigrate, per Merriam-Webster, is, quote, to attack the reputation of, defame, or to deny the importance or validity of, to belittle, end quote. So, I don't know if there's a clean way to put this all together. Uh, you know, if you're trying to deny the importance of someone's perspective on random variable, I don't know. It's, it's, it doesn't really jump out to you with, with obvious, uh, obvious meaning, but it is. No, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This all just seems so <laughs> random. Like it seems very random, right? It, it's so, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, so far to me right now, it just seems like it's just like random postings on an old type of like, you know, way of the internet. And right. That's about it. Yeah. And, and it makes you at this point question, okay. Sure, this is something that happened in 96. It was maybe one of the first widespread spam events. But why are we talking about this? Yeah. Why, what, like, what is the importance behind this at, at this juncture? Mm-hmm. And that's where we lead into the theories. So theory number one, as with many of the topics that we discuss, is that this was, in fact, simply a troll posting spam. 
Occam's razor would kind of seem to lean that direction. And if you're not familiar with Occam's razor, that's simply the idea that the simplest explanation for something is typically the right one. It essentially asks the question, why add complexity when there is none, right? Yep. So simply enough, maybe this is just spam. Some even believed that the content of the different fields of these messages, right, the from section, the subject line, the organization, the, the body of the message, etc., included words that were all just pulled from a list, which, if this was a series of spam posts, might be something that someone would want to do. So that way mm. it looks like it's more prolific, right, that there's tons of emails behind this, but in fact it's just spoofing these emails, pulling them from yeah. a generated list, and blasting people out there with these messages to give the illusion that it's bigger than it is. And the uh, the last point on this particular theory is that because most of these posts were made in Christian-centric groups, it is theorized that perhaps whoever's doing this uh, was a member of one of these groups and was just kind of hitting up all the groups that they were the most familiar with. Uh, because spam really doesn't know any bounds, it doesn't really hold itself to any particular type of group or type of email or type of whatever the the whole point of spam is to just get out there yeah so but uh but that's really all the the theory behind this being a troll posting spam uh has to offer and now again this is really where the mystery starts to crack open in interesting ways now the next theory states that this event was a part of a markovian chain experiment now this Theory builds off of how we defined Markovian earlier in the episode, uh, but again, just in case, the Markov chain is essentially a sequence of possible events in which the probability of each event depends specifically and only on the state attained from the previous event. So think of, of dominoes, right? Each domino hits the other one. You hit the first one, you know the last one's going to go down. Right, there's a chain. Exactly. But here, every given domino is not looking at any other domino except for the one right in front of it. The any given domino is only going to do something depending on what happens to the one before it. So it's essentially a series of, of events, a whole chain of events that has no memory. And essentially the last domino doesn't know that the first domino exists, right? It's yeah. only being hit by the second to last domino. And that's a very, very quick analogy for what we're kind of exploring here. But a Markov chain can be used to create models of behavior and to predict the probability of the model jumping from one state to another. And Markov chains are in fact used to program chatbots, for example. The most famous example of this is Mark V. Shaney. So let's go back to 1984. We have two programmers, Rob Pike and Brad Ellis. They created Shaney and released it onto Usenet. So Shaney was essentially one of these chatbots, and it was released into the net.singles group, which was focused on online dating. An excerpt from one of Shaney's posts looked like this. And again, you're gonna see some similarities here. Quote, it looks like Reagan is going to say, hmm? Oh yes, I was looking for. I'm so glad I remembered it. Yeah, what I have wondered if I had committed a crime. Don't eat with your assessment of Reagan and Mondale. Up your nose with a guy from a firm that specifically researches the teenage market. As a friend of mine would say, it really doesn't matter. It looks like Reagan is holding back the arms of the American eating public have changed dramatically. 
and it got pretty boring after about 300 games." End quote. So that's probably the second most insane thing that I'll ever have to quote on this show. What is this conspiracy <laughs> on about? So essentially, this, this conspiracy, this particular theory is, is trying to say that the Markovian Parallax Denigrate was a widespread Markovian experiment. Essentially, and I'll jump to my kind of my kind of personal conjecture on the matter before we mm -hmm. come come back to this Shaney bot, because to me, when researching the word Markovian and figuring out what each of these words mean and how they might all stitch together and putting it into this context, especially, uh, it immediately reminded me of a computer virus, or at the very least, some sort of self-propagating program. Because remember, a Markovian process is essentially a memoryless entity it acts like spam or like a computer virus which has a specific goal which is to propagate mm -hmm. but might only it might only do one thing when a creator releases a computer virus they don't know essentially where it's going to go they only really know what it's meant to do right and sometimes not even that but with no memory and no plan you can't really tell what's going to happen or where a particular process will wind up which to me when looking at these messages and how random they were it just seems to me like a message that was created on the fly like each word was literally randomly generated based on whatever the previous word was and that maybe they released it into one usenet group to start and then it self-propagated and maybe it just because of that self-propagation, because each action is only based on the previous action, maybe somewhere within that it got trapped in a subset of Usenet groups. Maybe it followed particular users or maybe it followed particular keywords. And maybe that explains why it's propagating through all of these Christianity groups rather than just widespread out there. Perhaps these messages all started with a handful of random anchor words or phrases, and then the rest of the messages, as well as where the messages were posted, were created on the fly based on random events created by the program itself, such as words used in the messages. And the theory doesn't purport to say that some sort of nefarious thing is afoot, but it tries to say that, hey, maybe especially because a lot of these emails used on these messages or listed on these messages are from educational institutions. Maybe a group of individuals created some sort of Markovian system as an experiment on the internet or on the Usenet, threw it out there, and then that day they also shut it down because they saw how quickly it propagated. And then they just wanted to see what happened, see how far it went, see what kind of messages it came up with, if it somehow learned along the way, Maybe it was a failed experiment, or maybe it was just a, huh, I wonder what this will do. Hmm. So some kind of like spam virus that they release into a certain section of like an internet form or something like that. And then mm -hmm. it just sort of domino effect. Yeah. I mean, the, the theory doesn't really state what the experiment's purpose would be outside of maybe this is what the experiment was. Hey everyone, Trevor here as always, just parting the seas of the mystery for a couple quick housekeeping notes. Uh, as you might have heard in the last podcast, we have merch now. If you want to sip sap on that tea or that coffee, if you want to get a mug, we have that. We also have a Red Web shirt. Just head to store.roosterteeth.com. There are sales going on right now for the holidays, so you can go check that out, see if you can get that in there with one of those discounts. Thank you for supporting the show.
Another way to do that is to let people know. You can follow us on social media where we have photos of some of the stuff we talk about that's visual at Red Web Pod. I talk about it all the time, but you know, you can follow us there and support us, or you could tell a friend. It's another great way to support the podcast. Thank you all so much. If you've been shouting us out in various ways, it means a lot to us. But all right, now on to the folks that pay some of the bills to keep the lights on so we can do what we do. We've got a different kind of sponsor read for this episode, actually. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast you really should be listening to. And I know that every day someone's telling you that you have to listen to some podcast and you nod, you say sure, and then you never listen to it. But don't let that happen here. Jordan's show, which Apple has named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can just get a sense of the world and how it actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest, and when they say there's something for everyone, they really mean it. In one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing all at the same time. Another episode actually tells the story of how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by both the feds and the mafia, which is pretty nuts. Two episodes I would recommend you check out if you're a listener of this show would be True Confessions of a Fake Psychic and Writing, Directing, and Surviving the Movie Game. So if those sound fascinating to you, I encourage you to check those out. But what's more is Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his brilliant guests. And they're not just talking about pop psychology or wishy-washy self-help stuff here. The episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom that you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well, so search The Jordan Harbinger Show, H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But as far as the question as to, like, why does this exist, like, what was the purpose, outside of it being an experiment, let's let's reflect back on this Shaney bot and, and kind of look at some of the purposes behind that existing and see if we can't draw on any of that. So what's interesting is obviously that Shaney bot is in there with the uh, with the online dating group and some of the users saw through this immediately. They saw the obvious nonsensical postings and correctly assumed that Shaney was some sort of spam bot and moved on. They just ignored it. However, others did think Shaney was a real person and theories ranged from thinking that they were merely an eccentric individual to being some sort of secret artificial intelligence project that was deployed in the group for field testing. Pike himself recalled that at one point there was a real life meetup that was organized for the net.singles group. Some members talked about whether or not this Mark individual would show up. And I think Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, but Mark was meant to meet up with this Shaney person, right? Correct. People were thinking, well, they were they were saying that Mark was Shaney. Oh, they were saying that Mark was Shaney. Yeah. When they say wondering whether or not Mark would show up, they were referring to Mark Shaney. Interesting. So I guess like this is where the theory really stems from is this event and this kind of experiment in the 80s. So drawing from this to, to answer your question in the theoretical terms, like what is the purpose of this experiment? I guess whoever created it might not have known where it was going to go, but the people that push this theory forward are saying, well, maybe they were hoping that some sort of AI artificial intelligence could be rolled out from this type of coding because it was basically 
developing language on the fly. It was self-propagating. Mm-hmm. It was making decisions based on whatever was most recently happening exclusively. Others kind of theorize like, is this a way for a computer to learn? Is this a way for a computer to interact with people? Is there a way to fool people into thinking that an AI or this code is a real person? There's, There's a lot of reasoning behind it. And Pike and Ellis themselves had multiple reasons for creating and releasing the bot, but the primary one was a desire for, quote, these complicated sort of postmodernist pranks they were playing on the internet, end quote. So ultimately, despite theories uh, wanting to say that maybe there was something more nefarious afoot, it could just simply be that this was a prank or something done to see what would happen. Oh, interesting. So just kind of like coders or engineers or whatnot just trying to see what would happen if they released this thing onto the internet. And it kind of seemed to just kept doing its thing weird okay all right and this is starting to make some sort of sense it's it starts to open up even more in the next theory believe me okay because at first i was like this just seems like spam and yeah it absolutely does spam that got reported (laughs) exactly and so then you're like okay well this is just spam okay fine maybe this is like some sort of spam with intent behind it and then well comes theory three no okay now we're starting to open this up (laughs) So theory three states that this is a secret code, that there was some sort of hidden cipher embedded in these posts, or that they were essentially text versions of a number station, which is an entirely different subject in and of itself. If you aren't familiar with number stations, those typically are Russian or USSR number stations that broadcast and have been broadcasting since the Cold War, and they just repeat numbers. Uh, They're very odd, to say the least, and maybe we'll cover those in a future episode. But going back to this being a secret code, the name on the most popular post from this event was Chris Brokerage. But the email address for the account was listed as susanlindauer at wharf.uwsp.edu. After investigating this email address a little bit more closely, it was discovered that UWSP could stand for University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. In fact, at that university, there was a student named Susan Lindauer. She was a graduate student at UWSP, although she did graduate in 1994, which was two years prior to the post being made. And when asked about the postings, She also denied any involvement, saying, quote, I've never heard of it. So this ties back to the theory that perhaps this was, in fact, a spam event, uh, that it's possible that whoever was making these posts spoofed her email in addition to others. But it also does corroborate the fact that many of the emails used were educational system, right? The .edu Mm -hmm. emails. However, that's not really the end of the line. This is just the beginning of this other individual, also by the name of Susan Lindauer. And this is where it gets very strange and very nebulous and kind of hard to pin things down because there's a lot that goes into this particular individual. But this Susan Lindauer was a formal journalist who, at the time of the postings, was working in the press office for Senator Carol Mosley Brown. She spent a considerable amount of time ingratiating herself into circles focused on discussing counterintelligence encounter terrorism. She claimed to know the true culprit, for example, behind the Lockerbie bombing. And just for those who aren't aware, the Lockerbie bombing was a bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 in 1988. 
unfortunately resulting in the death of 270 individuals and marking it as the deadliest terror attack in UK history. Multiple agencies believed it to be the work of the Libyan government. However, she said that she had a contact in the CIA who informed her that the bombing was the work of someone else. So immediately, this Susan Lindauer is already setting up a track record of, like I said, counter counterintelligence, counterterrorism, but she's also claiming to have contacts within the CIA and that she has real information that the public doesn't have, that the public is being told, for example, on this unfortunate bombing, that it's the uh, it's the Libyan government that's do doing it. But she is now laying down what is going to be a pattern of, well, actually, I know who it really was. So this is a really interesting person now that I'm going to dive a little deeper into. She claimed to make regular visits to the UN in 1995 and 1996 to meet with members of Libya and Iraq, respectively. And in 2000, four years after these posts were made, she claimed to have been the victim of surveillance, threats, and attacks after meeting with members of the Libyan government. I think it's also worth noting here that in 2003, the Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi, did ultimately claim responsibility for the bombing, which starts to discredit Susan here. It starts to mm -hmm. undermine this. Uh, so so basically what I want to outline here is that she she's going to have a track record of going against the grain and having her own conspiracy theories when it comes to these terrorists or counterintelligence attacks. And uh, and then she, in this particular instance, was completely unsubstantiated by the leader of the Libyan government themselves. And so we have an interesting individual on our hands that has been listed by name and by email on these messages. I think it's also interesting to note here that multiple friends and co-workers of Lindauer said that she had, quote, erratic behavior and mood swings. An example of such behavior was when a local merchant once had to seek out an anti-harassment order against her because she continually made phone calls asking the merchant to cast spells on another local newspaper. <laughs> what? Very interesting. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Very interesting there. And I have a just a laundry list of other activities here. Uh, I don't want to gloss over them too much because I think that they are they're interesting and help build out a stronger visual or understanding, I should say, of Susan Lindauer. In 2002, she sent a letter to President Bush where she basically purported herself to be an expert on counterterrorism and peacemaking, that she went on to identify dozens of bombings before they happened with a high degree of accuracy and a number of assassination attempts on world leaders. She also came forward and claimed that she had insider knowledge of 9-11, stating that it was actually, and I'm really distilling this down here, that it was actually secretly a CIA asset that was coordinating these attacks on our own buildings here. In 2004, she was arrested by the FBI for acting as, quote, an unregistered agent of a foreign government, and she's claiming that these arrests were to silence her about 9-11, and then in 2006, she was released, and the judge actually declared her mentally unfit to stand trial, citing that she suffered from a, quote, lengthy delusional history. Now, at this point, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of sub-theories you could make about this person and the topics that she's talking about that maybe could be episodes for another time. Yeah, the, she seems like a whole thing in, in, in her yeah, own. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
But really, like I was kind of hinting at, the main thing I want to put up here is that there are major world events uh, whether they be terrorist or otherwise, that she is claiming to have deep inside knowledge on. There are other events that she claims to have cut off at the pass because she's so well ingrained. Uh, she has a lot of connections everywhere. But you also have other people kind of questioning um, her sanity, to put it lightly, and her judgment. But I think the real thing that I want to point out here is that she's prolific with how she reaches out to people, right? She's she's sending letters to the president. She's continually making phone calls to this merchant that she's very vocal when it comes to uh, how she goes about her her business. So that's where it kind of starts to tie back into this, this mystery at hand. And apparently, supposedly, the Markovian Parallax Denigrate wiki page, once it kind of involved Lindauer and, and started bringing her to light, supposedly it was taken down immediately after it started to connect the dots here. Uh, and that's what the, this theory starts to build on, too, is that, okay, in the wiki page, it starts talking about this Susan Lindauer, and that is when the wiki page was, was actually officially put up for deletion. I think you can look at the wiki page's history to verify that. Obviously, it wasn't deleted and it still remained, but I think that she's been since removed from that wiki page, right, Christian? She is still briefly mentioned in the wiki page. Still briefly article. mentioned. Yeah. Interesting. But ultimately, now that you know a little bit more about Susan Lindauer and, you know, you obviously know about this mystery. Now, the real connective piece, the real reason why people dove after this person in particular, this Susan, as opposed to any other Susan Lindauer, was because of her history. And so they started painting a vivid image of these messages marked Markovian Parallax Denigrate was her attempt to send coded messages for some reason or another and that also connects back to her CIA background. But, you know, ultimately when questioned about these postings, uh, Lindauer denied any involvement and said, quote, I am not the Susan Lindauer who authored the code. Wish I could enlighten you. I'm baffled too. End quote. Oh, okay. So she was aware of, of all this and was just like, hey, that's not me. But then again, like she seemed like she was a little, I don't know, lost in the weeds sometimes. Mm -hmm. So one last piece to try to continue substantiating it, because I do think that there's something here, there's something of interest with regards to this particular Susan Lindauer and her prolific connections to the CIA or her attempts to connect to the CIA. Either way, what's interesting here, and, and I kind of foreshadowed this earlier, the name Webb was seen in that famous post that I read earlier. And in August of 1996, that very same month that that post was made and flooded the Usenet, Gary Webb, of the same spelling, released his book, Dark Alliance. And this book was about a CIA operation to traffic cocaine to the U.S. and to allow the spread of the crack epidemic in Los Angeles. Now, I know that that sounds like a bit of a sidebar fact, but really what I want to draw on here is that it's referenced in the post, it's touching on the fact that the CIA does have a bit of a dark history with nefarious behind-the-curtain activities, and Susan Lindauer herself seems to be a person who is trying to say, hey, I'm the one identifying all the stuff going on behind the scenes. I'm the one who knows all the people in play. I know the reality here. So I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if that is some subtle way to substantiate what's going on here, but 
But that's the last piece when it comes to the secret code, because ultimately what it comes down to it, whether it was a secret code uh, by Susan Lindauer, who might have been a spy, or whether it was a secret code by hackers or whatever have you, uh, the, the code, if it is that, has yet to be cracked. And that's where we're left today, knowing as much as possible about this mystery, um, but still very little. Oh, it's just... Man, I would have just seen this as spam and go, that's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah, that's I mean, that's totally fair. It's I think what's really tickled people's interest is, again, just how little we know about it. You know, it's a fascinating right. story. I think it's uh, it's interesting to hear about um, spam from the early days of the Internet before I used it, before we used it in the common way that it is now. But but ultimately, you know, I I I feel like I want to lean back on my own kind of sub theory that falls under the being a Markov chain experiment. You know, I, I do think that there's something in here that relates that feels very similar to a computer virus, but with more intent uh, and less malice, right? There's somebody I feel like put forth a code uh, and that code in order to keep it efficient was built to basically react on the fly. Yeah. I think to me that that addresses a couple of the things here, such as certain words uh, repeating more than others. Maybe those were the anchoring words with which these whole messages were spawned. I think that the fact that this was a one-day event and never came back and was never talked about ever again anywhere, uh, I think that that plays into it being a small group or an individual who was uh, trying to see what would happen with machine learning. Maybe this is just very early machine learning. And the fact that all the emails that were listed on these messages, whether they were spam or not, or whether they were uh, faked or not, they all have that .edu uh, email address, which puts it, you know, attaches it to educational institutions. So that's kind of where I think of this as. I, so it feels like spam, but maybe there's some sort of secret behind the scenes purpose, which again, doesn't have to be nefarious. Maybe it's right. just, uh, hey, what will happen if I do this? But that's where the interest, I think, lies. I think that's where people's minds start to run mm -hmm. wild is where there's a lot of gaps in the story. And unfortunately, with this one, it's just I don't think we're ever going to fill those gaps. We're lucky to even have some of the original messages as it stands, you know. So with that said, that actually gives me a, a really good idea because we haven't been doing this very like specifically in each episode. Out of 10, how would you rate this kind of mystery on strength of conspiracy, right? One being it's super mundane, just everyday, normal, can be explained away. 10 being this was insane. I have no idea how to explain this. Even with the theories, this is just nuts. How would you put this? Uh, I mean, I'm going to give this one a, a, two. Give yeah, it a two. I feel like this is just like... Not much, too much of a conspiracy here. I feel like this one is is a grasping at straws more so than anything. I can yeah. feel that. I think I would give this a three. I think there's a little tickling of something in the background, something with this Markovian process or system. Uh, I can see mm -hmm. that. But beyond that, I think it's just, uh, I don't think there's anything too too wild going on here. So I, I give it a three. I, I don't either. Like, we've had some stuff where I'm just like, I don't know no. what to believe. I could subscribe mm -hmm. to all of these different theories, or or this is just, like, insane in the best way. They, they try to answer why, or or what, or what it's after, but sometimes maybe those, those questions don't even exist. Maybe there isn't a why, you know? 
And that's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes these mysteries, no, completely. you know, we want to explore them as a story, as an event that's happened. Sometimes, you know, we're just human beings. We're going to look at these things as we see them. And, uh, and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I don't know. I don't think there's been a single episode, by the way, that I haven't s- talked about cookies crumbling. I would love to, no. I would love to find out. <laughs> I gotta stop talking about crumbling cookies. <laughs> But man, I, I still find it fascinating. I still think it's a really interesting piece of history, especially as like a part of the precursor to the internet. And in the, I'm not saying that this is one of the only or first instances of spam, but it is the, one of the most intriguing. Yeah. Since when would you ever be fascinating by an event of spam, right? Or potentially yeah. spam? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it was it was interesting in, in a different way, mm-hmm. um, to be completely honest. It wasn't, interesting in the sense of like what we've been used to on this show but it was different in the sense of like okay this is just like really old internet style and was this spam was this more but my monkey brain still in the very back it's scratching away trying to say like (laughs) i don't know man start talking about the cia start talking about all these sort of like i know who really did this that and the other and you 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 tickle something primal in me and i want to i want to go after it but in this instance i think we can safely safely leave that piece and I would love to hear, uh, you know, you guys like to reach out to us, whether in the reviews section on iTunes or on Twitter or on roosterteeth.com, where this also gets uploaded. You guys tend to give us your own theories that we might have overlooked. And I would be really, really fascinated in this one in particular to hear what you guys think. Because again, there's so much room for this to be super benign, super simple. Maybe it was spam. Or there's, again, a lot of room to read into it. But I would love to hear from those who might have experienced this back in the day, because I know we have uh, listeners from all age groups or from people that have never heard this before. But if you want to leave us a review, like I said, you can go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. That really helps out the show and gives us a little bit more algorithmic boost, as it were. But if you really want to help us out and you think you got a, and you got a friend who would uh, love hearing about mysteries and you chat about conspiracies with all the time, uh, give them a shout, send them, send them our way, see how they feel about it. Cause the word of mouth is the best way to spread a podcast. And outside of that, we will see you guys next Monday for another mystery. Mystery.